0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: Thanks for joining us for our 50th episode of Take Two. Maura Caravello is here with us and John Frugal-Dougal, as he says we can call him, from Absolutely. the state officer's Officers, auditors' office. I can't even talk on a Friday. So once again, there's a kajillion things to talk about. But I want to start off with. the Isn't fact this the
2: fiftieth yeah, episode? So Fifty. Seems Congratulations. Like, Congratulations! Thank you.
1: Woohoo! We Woo. made it. So thank you everyone for sticking with us and listening. And we just never run out of things to talk about. But. I think the most exciting thing in Utah this week has really been that people care about us, Democrats, which I think is interesting. I was assigned to go out to the uh, big Buttigieg event. Um, what day was that now? It all starts to run together. Wasn't it, wasn't it
2: uh, Monday? Monday, President's Tuesday. Day, yeah. Washington Lincoln Day.
1: So anyhow, I went out there. I had an interview with him, and usually those are quick, you know, five-minute in and out. But I was impressed by the turnout. I really didn't expect to see that. I know that when we've seen Bernie Sanders before, he draws a big crowd. But I didn't know what Buttigieg would get here in Utah. And I think ultimately they said there were 4,500 people, which – I thought it was a huge crowd. Mara, surprised by that? You know, that?
0: all of them. I think we'll probably talk about a couple of candidates this week. But what I am heartened by is the engagement level. And a lot of these people, as you listen to the news, are saying, I, "I came to see what this was about." I think there's a there's a solid group that are just there to cheer on their fellow. But I think a lot of them are saying hey, I just came to hear a little more. That is phenomenal. And we're getting thousands of Utahns who care enough to show up at these rallies. And as you suggested, we're also getting more and more candidates who feel like it's worth a touchdown.
1: Which is super exciting. And I actually posted on Facebook that it was a huge crowd for Buttigieg. And then Facebook ate me alive. And they're like, well, have you not seen President Trumps? you guys refuse to say he has big crowds. And I'm like, he has huge crowds. He really does. He's the president of the United States. But when you get a crowd of 4,500 people for a Democrat in Utah, to me, when you're looking at what that means, that's huge, don't you think?
2: Well, Aaron Mendenhall said, hey, you've got all the Democrats in Utah plus 10% of the Republicans. So <laughs> it was kind of cute what she said there. But I mean, yeah. Mayor Pete, I think what he said is this is what it looks like to prove there is no such thing as a permanently red state. So he was really feeding red meat. Right, and
0: you'll see this overarching theme with a lot of Democratic uh, campaigns right now as they're trying to talk people into the new math of Utah. And the new math, they're saying, is uh, following trends like Colorado, in which maybe we are trending a little bit more um, purple.
1: It's true. And I think when you look at the fact that Utah traditionally would get about 75% of Republicans voting for the Republican nominee, and last time we had 45%, they see the wiggle room there. And I think it's exciting to have a conversation And it's interesting how voters think that they can steer the conversation, and they can, which I think is important. But they said that last time a lot of them said they voted for Bernie Sanders. They're looking at Bernie Sanders and saying, I still like the guy, but I don't think that he's going to be electable. So I'm coming to listen to people, because I can't hear them in the debates, and try to figure out who I think really can make a difference, which I think is an important thing to do no matter what party you're with.
2: Yeah, I I think Bernie versus Trump, I think Trump just crushes him
1: which i might use as a segue to bloomberg right so i mean really
0: the 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 assertion of bloomberg is i match up with trump and (laughs)
2: new york billionaire versus new york billionaire
0: polling is showing that he matches up and um and he's getting huge rallies and certainly the investment in utah is unprecedented that's
1: right and he had hundreds in the morning uh was it yesterday morning when he was in town yesterday after he had probably not the best debate night ever
2: I heard everybody dogpiled on him and stuff like that. It would be interesting, though, to see the Democrats, what they really think of him. I, clearly, there's some that like him, and some, he's got a history. Like any uh, previously elected official, there's a history that goes with it, and he's got to be able to answer those questions. And I, what I understand from the debate is he was ill-prepared for questions you knew he was going to get asked. So
0: I had a different take. I mean, I felt like he didn't match up well. But I think ill prepared for me is not what I saw. What I saw is he joined a game that had been that had been going on for a while. They uh, debates are a certain segment of the campaign season, yep. and you get into some mojo. You know, you get yeah the hand, you get <laughs> the hand sorry, raising, sorry. me pick me, um, and you get into sort of let me the, talk about you as well. And he was clearly not in that mode. Uh, it was also you know dog pile on him. Oh yeah. Uh, So what's an intriguing thing, though, is... I'll bet the majority of people, what they watched is the recap of the debate, not the debate itself. And so it's essentially one news cycle, and he's still putting direct to public, you know, if you are in his target audience, I do not need to tell you how much social media he's putting out there. So the question is, how much are we going to rely on the ba- debates? And I would be among those who say, it's nice that we're having so many, but they're also a little, wor- you know, they're a little wearing. There's a, it's a, a lot. frequency to
2: them. Well, And he spent, what, 460 some odd million? million dollars just to this point right, to he's hit the debate, more. committed more, and and one of the key stories I saw of the week was the concern on the part of some where he's paying folks to text their friends to rally support for him, it and is. the question of, is that in the gray area, is that allowed how does that work? But this is what he's doing to help build support. Sure, and, and I a mean, lot of I folks I I he's following like
0: FEC it. rules. The question is, should we change those? The other small thing, uh, John, that I just want to correct is, we don't know if it's billionaire to billionaire. I mean, I'm going to say we know that uh, Bloomberg's a billionaire. I'm not no, so, so sure President <laughs> Trump's a billionaire. I know he plays one on TV, but I'm not persuaded that that man's tax returns aren't going to say he's lost more of his daddy's money than we think.
1: It could be okay. I want to talk a little bit about the billionaire part because I hear so much talk about it, and honestly, it was probably too much of the debate for me because I'm like, okay, most of you up there are millionaires and billionaires, and you all have more houses than most of us will ever have in life. Well, a this lifetime. is the irony. That's right. Yeah. The
2: socialist that most people in America know, I think Bloomberg said this, is a millionaire who owns three homes. Bernie Sanders. That's right. And plays, you, tries to play the little guy.
1: Socialists live in the American dream here. So my question is, people are saying that you know it's not fair that Bloomberg's buying the vote. But when I look at this, sometimes I'm like, is it really a bad thing? that, Not that you should buy votes, but sometimes I look at our campaigns and I look at whether it's big pharma or oil or whoever's buying in, and then there's pay, for, pay to play once you get into the White House. Is it maybe an okay thing that we've got someone who's willing to spend their money? It's going into the economy. It's going to TV stations and radio stations. And... People can listen to him and decide. Is he buying your vote, Mara?
0: You know, so first I'll, I'll, I'll stake out the territory that, that will, will not happen in my lifetime, which is I think we should put an overall cap. I don't care who gives the money, but I think we should cap. But since we're not going to do that, um, w- really, if you look at it and say, at least you know who's influencing his money because it's his money, and uh, what difference does it make if it's a billion and the rest are spending a billion, too, you're not looking at, at him being essentially outmunched, mon- Matt. Monetarily, whoever—I mean, Trump's going to bring the same amount of money to the fight. And you look at at the big guys, mm-hmm. as we've said, those who are supposedly looking out for the little guys, and you're looking at multimillionaires there who are um, marshaling millions and millions of dollars from special interest groups.
2: well you got Tom Steyer. Is that how you pronounce
0: his yeah, name? Yeah. yeah. Another billionaire. He's also self-funded.
2: Okay, self-funded. I mean, he was getting some token amounts just sure. so he could get in the debate, but. Is he really shifting the debate? Is he building that momentum? Just because you have billions of dollars and you're spending millions and millions or even hundreds of millions doesn't necessarily mean people are going to buy your message.
0: I also appreciate what Bloomberg has said when he's been questioned about why he doesn't seek out donations. And he said, why would I? That seems inappropriate for me if I can self fund, that I'm going to go ask somebody else to spend their hard-earned money when, frankly, I should, I'm committed to spending my own. Yeah,
1: it's an interesting argument. I wouldn't mind seeing caps in the future because when you look at all of the money that's spent on our elections here and how long it takes, it kind of makes you sick to your stomach that we're spending money on that when we know that there's poor in our country and other countries, and that money could go to so many great places. It's just like, what are we doing And the numbers
0: now are out just phenomenal and when I say caps I think what's important for me is I would say here's what you can expend in your entire election and go get the money from wherever what I don't think works is doing these individual caps like right now if you want to give to a federal candidate you can only give 2750 that professionalizes fundraising that makes it so that it only favors the people. incumbents
2: it favors the it incumbents favors those for sure have the but it
0: also it favors those who are rich and can hire people to help you get 2500 from you and your spouse and your 18 yeah. year old son and normal people get really turned off from this so I think complicating the um, contribution system is a mistake we continue to make I think overall caps and saying this is all this election we need to spend on this election. What it does though is I think it's incumbent then on things uh, like public services and and media outlets to say okay fine then we're going to host a forum because what you have taken away is a little bit of the spigot that allows you to communicate and so that would fall to the media and the public sector to step up there
2: one of the challenges though with caps is you put in a cap and then money figures out wherever there's power money's going to figure out how to get there and it's going to run around those caps where money ruins everything well it's whether this special interest group or that advocacy group or or some other organization is going to be built up to get around those caps and folks with the money are going to figure out how to get around the caps regardless
0: sure but as heidi said we cannot just keep spending more
1: It's just a lot. Do you know who else is spending lots of money? Our gubernatorial candidates, and they're out there working hard. One person who came out this week and said they just don't have the money uh, to get the signatures is Amy Winder Newton. Anyone surprised uh, by the fact that she's decided to go the route of talking to her own people at the party?
2: No, the cost of getting signatures, when you look at the Republican side, when you look at the number of candidates, the number of signatures you have to get, and those have to be unique signatures. So one person can't sign three or four candidates' Mm -hmm. packets. They can only sign for one, and that raises the cost. And, and a couple of years ago, I heard that for a statewide race, you needed a hundred to $150,000. This year, I was hearing two, two fifty, maybe $300,000 just to get those signatures. And these candidates are finding out that is much harder than they expected.
1: So what happens, Mara, to her votes? Can other people now sign for somebody else or her signature stuck on her now
0: sure remember I mean you could sign on four technically it's whoever the candidate or you know however many you want yeah it's whoever the candidate submits and verifies it first mm-hmm. so um, her votes will just get redistributed or, or her maybe signatures maybe there yeah her signatures uh, maybe they won't if someone doesn't want to sign I think unfortunately for her campaign um, what is perceived as a shift in strategy maybe takes a little bit of the wind out of our sails going into convention.
1: Okay, so Amy Winder-Newton, we're going to see uh, Thomas Wright there with Rob Bishop and also Greg Hughes. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there and if anyone else will join them because still a lot of signatures to well, be gathered. actually,
2: Thomas got signatures. He turned in 30,000 oh, 30, signatures, I think, yesterday, yesterday the day before. Yeah. Oh, my
1: gosh. And so so he just headline. barely
2: turned in signatures. Spencer Cox turned in signatures. But, yeah, the other good thing for Amy is rather than distracting her efforts trying to collect these signatures, she can focus on what was going to be the real path anyway, which was through convention. Right. And now she can focus on that and put all her energies in trying to win in convention.
1: And just go and talk to people right now. I know we talked about this a little bit last not, uh, last week, uh, Spencer Cox, our lieutenant governor, trying to find his place in the race. Is he like Huntsman, where he's a little bit more to the middle? Is he more to the right? And I think a lot of people who follow him on Twitter, Twitter, Facebook, social media all have different followings. I feel like Facebook maybe is a little bit of an older audience, maybe a little more Ouch. conservative. Ouch, I resemble I know, that comment. I know, right? And Twitter, I think, is younger and maybe a little more left-leaning. And there's been a lot of people who follow him on Twitter, whether it's because Uh, he's a fun guy on Twitter. He talks about the jazz. He talks about politics. But he tweeted about the debate the other night, and he said, I didn't watch any of tonight's debate, but it seems like everything went well. Obviously some sarcasm there, but immediately all the moderates you could see that had been following him started saying things like you're the guy I would always point to and say if the GOP can produce people like Cox, there might be hope for the party after all. It's been disappointing to see tweets like this. Is he trying to go more centrist, or is he, Mara, Always been like this, where he makes fun of both sides, and people are just taking issue with it because he's running right now.
0: You know, I mean, it's probably the latter. He probably already has been like this, but the but he shifted. He shifted the conditions by running, and I think he's finding his voice as we talked about last time. I think he's having a hard time finding his voice as a candidate. I also think um, he is someone. Who has not been heavily scrutinized scrutinized in his political career, and hasn't uh, been
2: scrutinized either. Scrutinized.
0: There's no <laughs> nobody no scrutinization. wants to
1: scrutinized. That's like bad news.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> I've seen pictures, and and uh, I think he's maybe for the first time having to navigate that a little bit. And Twitter, as you suggest, um, is a little more bare knuckle and a, a little bit of a forum where you zing people. And and I think there's a question of well, you're running. Um, can you be sarcastic and while you're running can you opine the way you might when you are sitting at on the last term as an LG for a beloved governor
1: and you have to think about the fact that everything you say on social media is on the record we've learned this with President Trump That's right. that what you're saying out there it, I mean it belongs to you it belongs to the office and even Go Kansas you, yes even though you're <laughs> out there having fun I mean it matters and I have to think about that when I tweet every day because sometimes I just want to be snarky and Bite people's faces off, and I'm like, oh, I'm Heidi Hatch. I'm on TV and I need to be on good behavior. That's why I
0: can't tweet, is anything I think is funny probably shouldn't be out there. No,
1: but Mara um, on Instagram led me to my favorite account now. It's called Influencers in the Wild. So if you have not joined that account yet, John, have you seen it? Are you on Insta?
2: It's worth a while. No, I'm not, but I'll have to. I guess it's worth, if, When
0: you're in a long committee meeting, it's worth
2: taking a go. break.
1: You'll lose all faith in humanity, but it's a really will. good brain break <laughs> for your day. So check that out, influencers well, of Instagram.
2: L- let me come back on Cox for just a minute. Okay. So one of the things is he set a certain expectation for his audience. And as he's shifting, trying to come to the right, that's where his audience is saying, wait a second, you set these expectations. So do I think you can be sarcastic as a candidate? Yes, you can. But you've got to be true to your audience. And that's where his audience is saying, wait a second you are not the person we thought you were. And that's, and for him, I think that's kind of an interesting dynamic because he spent so much time curating this audience yeah. with this perception of this place in the spectrum, and now he feels he has to be somewhere else, that quote-unquote solid conservative, you know, mediocre farmer but solid conservative, got a position there now.
1: Yeah, it's yeah. a tricky it's place to, to out. carve out there. I love sarcasm, though. They need a font for it, though, so we really know so what we we're know. getting, you know, on social media. I want to talk a little bit about the legislature right now, and one thing that came up today is a possible repeal of Prop 4, if you forget your numbers. That was the gerrymandering one, and it passed. And I'm looking at this and thinking, okay, is there sense to this? We have so many um, things that were voted on by the people of Utah, John. Are they going to lose faith in the system if the legislature goes and throws out um, what people voted on for medical marijuana, gerrymandering, and really anything else? Are people going to show up and vote if we always just throw it away and say we know better in the legislature?
2: I'm going to say it depends. I mean, I've talked with many folks, and you would point out certain weaknesses in the, the initiatives, and folks would say, yeah, but the legislature can fix it. So as long as the fixes are within the bounds of what the public expects, then I don't think the legislature loses any credibility. If it deviates outside of that, then it gets to a point where more and more people have concern about the process. Wait a second, we spoke. Why are you changing it?
1: So should they change this right now, or is this going against the will of the people in your mind?
2: Uh, I have concerns about the constitutionality with the redistricting. I think with some minor tweaks and stuff like that, you can fix some of those issues. And I've even talked to some of the folks that were sponsors of that, saying, well, yeah, we expect some of that to get tweaked. The question is, what comes out at the end of the day? and Does it capture the intent of the voters, or does it significantly deviate? And that's the question.
0: So, I mean, I think the line to look at if you're concerned about the legislature once again undermining the will of the people is that the primary sponsors were at the table until you last last night. And I think the legislature is looking at two or three things that fundamentally do fly against the will of the people. I think this particular initiative had some cleanups, and I'd like to point out that every bill passed has cleanups, so it's not unique to citizens' initiatives mm-hmm. to have to do a re-round on it. Um, it doesn't make it an inferior product that the, the citizens brought. So, uh, And that's uh, my point, is
2: just because you made a change didn't mean you undercut it.
0: Right, and I think we were at compromise... Um, where, as John said, well, you know, the, even the, um, the pro-offers said, yeah, you know, there's a couple things we do want to change. I think that's where we were. It sounds like the legislature wants to go a step further and undermine what the proposers or what the citizens voted on would be a fundamental change, and largely it's how prescribed the process has to be.
2: And my understanding is, and I haven't been in those meetings, but the legislature is looking to make sure there's an independent commission, that the commission can set their own rules about how they're going to deal with different principles that come with redistricting, I think I heard that they're supposed to bring at least three maps back for the legislature to consider, things like that, so the question is, a lot of it sounds like it's trying to capture what was in the initiative, will the public say, yeah, that captures our intent? Or no, you deviate and we don't trust you.
0: But I think the critical part is, as a position of public trust, the notion is, are you being very prescriptive about this being independent and uh, sans partisanship? Because remember, at the end of the day, this is a recommending body. So it feels ill-intended that the legislature wants to cut off the recommending body before they can deliberate independently. And I think it's because, you know, the legislature is saying, you know, make us the bad guys. And I say, yeah, make you the bad guys. You guys are the ones that are doing partisan gerrymandering. So take your dose of medicine and let the independent commission come back with what they see and should be codified in law about what we all see and agree to is is a nonpartisan process.
2: And one of the challenges is folks talk a lot about gerrymandering, but how do you exactly describe it? I know sometimes we look from different... I can show you on a map say, if you that want. That looks like gerrymandering <laughs> and we see it. We know what it is when we see it. But other times there's different folks quote unquote gerrymandering for different reasons and you don't necessarily know what that is and you can't necessarily see it and that's one of the challenges is some want to say well just turn it over to a computer and it will do the redistricting but somebody had to program that computer which brings a certain bias into but that process. But we're dealing with
0: an actual piece of law that actually c- assumes that and assumes uh, a great deal of different points of view at the table that uh, the notion behind this is you get a larger point of view and many different point of views and that the stakeholders at the table aren't just the people who have something to win or lose. It's actually the
2: people that they represent. So but I as think you look around the nation you got lots of concerns, even with independent commissions, about concerns with them gerrymandering and as well. it's not an
1: easy job, I think we should point out, because when I've read up on this and tried to understand and try to think, how would I do this? It's not an easy thing to do. I mean, we've got a state where we've got urban centers, very rural, and then trying to get enough people and fit them in. And no person who goes to the table, even if you have a nonpartisan commission, we all have our ingrained beliefs inside of us that we think that are not going to sneak out, but they can. And so I think it's a tricky job.
2: Well, and I was on the redistricting commission when we, I think it was 2006, when we were maybe going to get that fourth congressional seat. And back then we drew what was called the donut. So we had three kind of urban rural, and then we had that Salt Lake City, Park City, donut hole, if you will. Okay. Some people really like that. A bunch of Democrats were bundled together and they really like that. Other folks come from the perspective of, When it comes to congressional seats, we want to make sure we have a mix of urban and rural in all four of the seats. So they have to all deal with some of those urban issues and some of those rural issues. And so there's valid perspectives on both sides. And, and I think if
0: we could keep them. the discussion on that, those are really interesting perspectives. I mean, I've thought, do I do I think you better represent if you have a mixture? Do I think you better represent if you have sort of like-minded groups, right, some density? But what I like about those are those are facing the public and saying, hey, how can we best represent you? The definition I think of when you move to partisan gerrymandering is when you're not doing that, when you're looking at your buddy and saying, hey, if I carve out these two um, streets, I think you have a better chance of holding your. Seat. and
1: yeah. the interesting thing here in utah is that we don't even have congressional members who belong to their districts that live inside sure, of them right exactly so, which is weird in and of itself because i don't think ben mcadams lives ben in McAdams his district does not live in his yeah and for a
2: while jason chaffetz didn't live in his yeah. until after redistricting i've itself.
0: always been shocked we don't care i uh, i mean so i, I thought care. of J- I jason other chaffetz, chaffetz yeah. was an anomaly and i thought okay we, we we let him slide and then when mcadams came in and we still didn't seem to mind it's it's incredibly curious to me that we don't object to that
2: well and, and one of the interesting things is this gerrymandering goes back to the founding fathers it's named after one of those founding fathers back then
1: there was but jerry w- Albert, <laughs> Albert <laughs> gary mr oh, mander Albert <laughs> gary yeah
2: and the salamander thing became gerrymandering, gerrymandering what we now call yeah. gerrymandering but i've suggested for years what would happen because we think about redistricting based on geography mm-hmm. and some politics thing comes in as well what happened if we just had four at-large seats, four at-large districts that just follow the boundaries of the state, and top four vote getters get it? And maybe that's based on politics, maybe that's based on uh, geographic issues, rural issues, maybe maybe it's based on tech issues, maybe it's based on clean air. Who knows how what constituencies are going to coalesce coalesce around certain candidates? But that would be an interesting thing to get rid of the geographic gerrymandering, or that drawing boundaries let the voters decide how they want to coalesce behind different candidates and let the top four win
1: so they'd kind of be like senators but congressional but house members and each voter and each state. voter
2: gets one vote one vote you don't get four votes you get one vote
1: I don't know uh, we should we should try it who do we talk to yeah <laughs> yeah Do you have friends in high places? Uh, I want to talk about a couple of the other things in the legislature right now. The safe haven expansion bill um, passed committee. This would allow new moms to hand over their baby for up to 30 days as opposed to 72 hours. Mara, is this a good idea or is that too long of a return policy for children?
0: You yeah, know, I mean, this is a hard call because yeah, the heartbreak of, of the process that we're going through. But I think that um, 30 days expansion, while this person, person is in crisis, um, clearly, uh, I think, it makes some sense and is a safety net um, that we might use.
1: Yeah. When I think about new parenthood and the fact that I had supportive parents and I had a job and I had a husband around and I had the money and you think about how stressful that is. I think giving people time more than 72 hours after they're out of the fog of actual childbirth making decisions isn't a terrible idea, but I know that not everyone's on board here. John, are you willing to allow 30 days? Oh,
2: sure, sure. I mean, I think uh, for a lot of conservatives, they were concerned about the original 72 hours and what would happen as a result. But when you step back and say, okay, you're trying to help children, and you don't want children to be stuck in a situation that's going to be so damaging and so disastrous to them to allow some type of safe haven, I think makes a lot of sense.
1: We just can't go to like 16 years because that's when you have to deal with the troubles yourself, right? Well, I think when you hit 14,
2: <laughs> you may want to say, okay, I'm loaning them out, and I'd like him back in two to three years. There yeah. you go.
1: A work program
2: of that's sorts. Right. Oh, definitely.
1: <laughs> I know my dad and I always got along better after I graduated from high school and I didn't know everything in college, and I realized that I might need parents. So, right. uh, My, ha- son, my son is the oldest is 28, <laughs> and
2: it's now, Dad, maybe I should have listened to you.
1: You uh, think? Yeah. Growing up. Uh, hindsight is always twenty twenty. 20 Our legislative leaders yesterday released a citation thanking President Trump for his great work. Is this just our assurance, Mara, that we like you, we're behind you, we're sorry about Mitt Romney, or what was this about?
0: This, for me, is the next chapter in a tale of two Utahs, and one is the great state of Utah with the citizens and all of us living here, and the other is the small hamlet that is the legislature that is sort of navel-gazing at one point. And so why I say that is I I appreciate that... um, the speaker and the president. I really do appreciate that what I think they were trying to mitigate are people in the Republican caucus that wanted to censure Romney. And I thought this was an artful solution to that. I thought it was quite smart to say, fine, we're just going to give an attaboy to President Trump. And so while I appreciate them taking what I felt like was a ridiculous and out-of-scope measure from um, the Republicans in the House and Senate to censure Romney, I thought leadership was... Um, very artful about it. What I don't like about it is, one, it was um, using the House and Senate seals, and it was not voted on by the House and Senate. This was done by two leaders who have every bit of right to speak um, as the leaders of those, but they did include the Democrats in it, and the Democrats are a part of the state legislature, and if you're going to use those seals, you should check in with everybody, and so I I thought that was a misstep, Uh, The the second thing is who they were trying to appease in that were Republican legislators. What we know from a great deal of polling in the last... Um, several weeks is that the majority or the um, more Utah supported Romney than didn't. So I don't think they were trying to speak to their constituents. Once again, I thought that who they had as their primary audience were their own caucus members and those were Republican caucus members. So I'm going to give them some stars for ha- coming up with an artful solution to censorship. Um, but I, I still think what's sad about it is they were looking at each other and saying, are you happy? I don't know. Are you happy? And no one was looking out the window at their constituents and asking what they felt
1: what do you think john was this artful or was this needed i do think it was artful
2: i'm going to just take issue i didn't see the seals on the right the one i saw but they did represent utah state legislature i think the key thing is for years first of all leadership has been trying to tell legislators we don't want you running resolutions in regards to certain folks and this and that on the floor and taking up all this time use citations so it was nice that they at least use citations like they have tried to pound into legislators over the years. But to be
0: clear, that's always been intended for Utahns. Those citations citations have have been intended to highlight Utahns.
2: Uh, It's actually to highlight anyone and Mm -hmm. stuff. But they said, we want you to go through that. But at the end of the day, yes, you've got the dynamic, which is, okay, we want to make sure President Trump, who we feel like has helped Utah on many fronts, make sure he's still happy with us. We're in his good graces. Yeah, he's not going to come down on us because he's upset about one of our senators, things like that. And I do think it was an artful way to try and balance those that wanted to censure, those that wanted to throw bombs with maybe a resolution or other things like that and try and say, here's a way to touch various bases in a safer... But a little
0: tush-kissing should not be wrapped in the throes of, of diplomacy. So, I mean, good for them. What is diplomacy but, but I mean other good than good a little
2: bit of tush- <laughs> Good for <laughs> them. Kissing of tushes, I mean.
0: Good for them for solving a problem in their caucus. But, again, did they look and try well, this and wasn't re- just
2: a problem in their caucus. It was a problem in the other caucus But were
0: well. they trying- No, I mean, uh, the Republican caucus. Yeah, but uh, the Democrats
2: wanted to throw bombs as well.
0: But, but I think what they didn't do is, once again, earnestly try and reflect- uh, what America or what Utahns were thinking. I think they were just thinking of politics.
1: Make love, not war is what they were after. When I saw <laughs> this, I was just thinking about when President Trump was trying to ask, ask Governor Romney when he was in the White House about Mitt Romney in that awkward moment. So maybe this will send some little worm fuzzies, like a big hug to President Trump and we can all be nice as we move forward. Heidi, sure maybe though, we too. can
2: get you a citation too. I, w-
0: I want one, yes. And I think it's probably spitting in the wind to think that Uh, The way you get to Trump is sort of through logic or past good acts. He feels, you know, I'm suggesting he might be a little more in-the-moment, emotional response
1: guy. He needs an in-the-person butt pat. I feel like he does. All right, he might. Uh, Salt Lake City teachers, they're going to stage a walkout to demand more education funding. I don't remember a walkout in my brain. Salt Lake City teachers, when they were renegotiating this last year, Actually walked uh, out of the back classroom. Back in the
2: nineties, there was a walkout. Yeah,
1: it's been a long time though. So this is interesting. They're doing it, but they're scheduling it. It's only a half day. Parents know it's going to happen February twenty eighth. Is this a good idea? So the legislature will listen. John, no. what do you think? No,
2: I, I think last time when they did the walkout, it actually blew up in their face and and tarnished the working relationship with the legislature. Especially after the legislature for many years felt like they really increased funding over and over and over, and then to have this felt. I think I heard. More like a slap in the face, and when you look, when they're getting seven, eight, nine percent increases year after year for the last several years, I think it has more risk to blow up in their face rather than to help the legislature be supportive.
1: In our newscast yesterday, I don't even remember how many millions extra, but there's a bucket load of extra money, and they're saying right now most about, of it will go about to 800 education. Million. Yeah, but the question is, is sometimes it's easier said than done? Does it help having faces there so you can see them and be reminded while you're in the legislative session that? education matters?
0: What I believe strongly is that these are earnest people, that they are trying to exercise. They, they are feeling stress. Our teachers have not been respected um, if respect means funding. And I think that they are quite earnest about saying we're not trying to be problematic. We are trying to show you our desperation at this level. I do think where uh, the strategy will not work is we have a series of delicate flowers at our legislature who don't take kindly, again, to being challenged on their decision-making. And often... the education groups have been perceived as challenging that. And most often, the Republican majority does not like the challenge. I hope they open it up and see the concern that teachers are trying to express. And I'm going to pin some of it on their dialogue in which they continue to express to us that education has a lot of money and that education has enough funding and that they are all pro-education and education is their largest issue. And if you don't take into account the teacher's contribution to education, it doesn't make sense.
2: Well, I'm going to say where the legislature would have concern is more when you use the word walkout. Every legislator I talk to is very welcome to talking with teachers, talking with constituents about various issues. It's when all of a sudden you're staging this walkout is where I think it can blow up in people's faces. And I
0: think what the walkout says is you're not listening to me. Yeah,
1: and I think there's two sides to it, and I think the one issue that I hear from when we do stories. If there were only two sides, there Uh, were more more than two sides. Uh, Parents sometimes have a hard time with this. Even when you know February 28th they're walking out, if you're working a job where your boss doesn't want you to leave and you don't have normal daycare for your kids, then you're stuck thinking, do I let them be a latchkey kid? You're hurting what you care about, certainly in the short run. Yeah. and,
2: And here's the questions I get asked the most as I travel state. Where does the money go in public ed, and how well is it spent? And too often, the system has not been able to answer those questions for the public. And those are meaningful questions that we need to have more dialogue about.
1: Absolutely. One that you brought up that I want to talk about, but we're literally out of time right now, is talking about the shortage of EMS in rural Utah. This is an important thing. We, I want to talk about it really quickly right now, but dig into it deeper. I was thinking about this when I drove to Monticello recently. It's beautiful. It's in the middle of nowhere. But I was thinking, if I fell off this mountain or got in a crash, Is this the place to do it? It's nerve-wracking because there's so many volunteers. This is a big issue our state has to think about.
2: We're having fewer and fewer people willing to volunteer or able to volunteer than we've had in the past. We have more people out recreating in rural Utah. We've got folks like, like me. You know, I'll fill up the car at home, load up the toys, get the food, bought at the local store, and then travel down there, maybe stop for a sandwich. But that doesn't generate the revenue for them to then pay If I get lost, if I get injured, whatever it might be, and especially when you start having foreign tourists who then go out of, not even out of state, out of country, and there's certain costs to their recovery, and the locals are left footing the bill.
1: Like that tour bus crash we had with all of the Chinese um, visitors that were here. I'm sure that that was not the easiest thing, even in an urban area, let alone when we're in these. rural areas trying to take care of them, whether it's hospital or ambulances. So it's definitely something we have to look at as a state. Is there an easy way to solve this? Well, I mean, it's easy
0: and hard. This has been a long time existing. It's an unfunded Need I won't so say mandate, but it's an unfunded need that's been unduly borne by particularly counties, but often municipalities as well, who are, as John says, coming to utilize Utah. Maybe it's Utah's, maybe it's out of state, and we are not um, dealing with it. And I, I don't actually think that from a public policy point of view it's that complicated. I think it's just getting the political will, and you have to figure out how to divvy it up. But I think most counties have, have tried to figure out how to articulate W- where that's happening for them in an unnecessary way. So I think it's incumbent on um, the, the local jurisdictions to be able to articulate that in a meaningful way. But I, I would like to see the state coming to the table here and recognizing this problem.
2: And okay. we're used to, when we call 911, I mean, within five minutes or less here along the Wasatch Front, we're used to the MS folks being you just there. Expect it right. to happen, yeah. Out there, maybe it's an hour, hour and a half travel just to get to where the call came from.
0: And the expenses in remote areas are tremendous.
1: Absolutely. We were just talking about this yesterday about um, people who volunteer their time for these search and rescues too. They've got normal day jobs. Right. They burden the co- uh, carry the burden of the cost oftentimes. So this is something I want to talk more about because I think it's a growing issue and we'll, we'll tack it on another day. Right now though I think we have to call it quits for our 50th episode. I think we've covered a lot here today. Thank you so much for being with us and we will be back next week with I'm sure more to talk about. It's never boring. Thank you.